Hey, what's up, the Life Podcast family? Austin here, and I'm so grateful you're joining for another episode. What I want to tell you, today's episode is a good one. Uh, we've been in a series called What to Do When, and if you listened two weeks ago, I gave you a podcast titled What to Do When Life Sucks. And today is going to be an extension of that one. I'm actually going to title it Into the Thick of It. And this one is actually a sermon that I just preached at church a few days ago, and it is really good. So if you listened to that one a few weeks ago, then listen to this one too, because it's just an extension. It's a little more in-depth. It's really good. So without any more talking from me, let's dive into today's episode. Today, um, I'm excited to share what's on my heart. Um, let me just intro with this. The title of today's message is called Into the Thick of It, Okay. Into the thick of it. If you're on TikTok, I'm a little late to the trend, but you all know what I'm talking about. Into the thick of it. Have you ever felt like you are in the thick of it? Have you ever felt like life kind of just sucks? Have you ever, uh, can I say that? Does life suck sometimes? I think I can say that. Have you ever felt like you made your plans, but, but life didn't really go the way that you planned it to go? I felt like that. And here's the deal. It's the holiday season. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much to be cheerful for. Everywhere you look, somebody's posting, just put my Christmas decorations up. Side note, if you put your Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving, anybody? We're not friends. Okay. Um, just kidding. I, I, I don't really care either way, to be honest. But during the holiday season, there's, there's all this happiness and joy and things that are happening. And oftentimes what happens is many people who are experiencing struggle and trial and life that sucks during this time, the holidays don't distract people from their pain. What it actually does is it magnifies the pain. It's like, it's like somebody taking a magnifying glass to an ant on the ground and burning it up. That's how it feels when you're going into the thick of it in the holiday season. And, and, and I'm really... I'm really thinking that this is the message for today because I've had so many conversations just this last week. I've seen so many posts on Facebook just this last week of people saying, wow, life is hard right now. I'm going through it. I talked to people last week and they said, I don't even want to go to my family's Thanksgiving dinner because I know it is going to be terrible. People are going to get wild. Bad things are going to happen. We're going to get into arguments like this is not a fun time of the year for me. And, and maybe you're in here today and you're thinking, Austin, my life's pretty good right now. That's great. I'm happy for you. I really am. But I, I, I encourage you to keep this message in your back pocket because I'm only 23 years old, but I know enough to know that life isn't always going to go your way, that sometimes hard things are going to come and you are going to have to know how to deal with it. Okay, so that's, this, I'm talking to everybody today, not just for those of you who might be having a hard time, but this is for everybody. And, and we're going to look at a guy, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. We're going to cover a few chapters, so we're going to do some reading, we're going to do some paraphrasing. It's going to be great, but we're going to look at a guy named Joseph. Anybody ever heard of Joseph before? Joseph was this young guy, and the Bible says that he was actually really handsome, so I really relate to Joseph. Um... <laughs> He was this young guy, he was handsome, and he was his father's favorite. And Joseph ended up in a place in life where he never thought he would be. And we're going to find out what that place is. So here it goes. Genesis chapter 37, verse 2 says this. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, that's Joseph's dad, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. 
This, this very colored tunic that Joseph's father gave to him actually represented status. It represented like privilege. If somebody was wearing something like what Joseph was wearing, it was royalty. Okay, so Joseph's brothers hated him because he was his dad's favorite. Now, I also relate to Joseph because I'm the favorite in my family. Any other favorites in here? No? Okay, guys, I'm sorry. I'm making a lot of jokes about me. Um, but this is where Joseph was at. His family hated him. His brothers, he had 11 brothers, they all hated him. And then it says this in verse 5, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to mine. Then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. If you guys haven't got the picture yet, his family hated him. And he didn't really do anything to deserve it, okay? He didn't, he didn't wrong his brothers in any way. He didn't offend them in any way that he would have thought, yet they still hated him. And this is what happened. When they saw him from a distance, Joseph was going to check on his brothers out in the field. And it says, when they saw him from a distance and before he came close to him, they plotted against him to put him to death. They hated him so much they wanted to kill him. The Bible says, Jesus says it, if you even hate somebody in your mind, you've already committed murder. And that's what they're doing right here. They hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. And it says, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Because Reuben wanted to save him. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him so that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. And they took him and threw him into the pit with no water, no food. It was empty. He was all alone. So his brothers hated him and then they threw him into this pit. Okay. Verse 26 says this, Judas said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they brought Joseph in to Egypt. So they decided, you know what? We really do hate this guy and we really do want him dead. But if he's dead, he's no good to us. So why don't we sell him and make some money. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver. And in the real world, like today's world, that translates to about $200. If my brother sold me for $200, I would say, you got a bad deal because I'm worth way more than that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They sold him for $200 and he went to be a slave in Egypt. Joseph didn't deserve any of this. He didn't deserve to be tossed into a pit. I wonder what he said to himself down in that pit. Do you think he blamed God? God, why me? You gave me this dream that I was going to rule and reign, and now here I am, literally, in the bottom of the bucket. This is not how I planned my life to go, God. I wonder if he said anything like that. Have you ever said something like that before? I definitely have. The story goes on, and I'm going to paraphrase from here on out, but the story goes on to say that Joseph was sold to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar was like um, the Pharaoh's, uh, he, was, he, was part of, he was an Egyptian officer who worked for Pharaoh. But while there, while sold into slavery, while a slave, the Bible makes a point to say something. And it's very cool. The Bible says 
that the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord caused all that Joseph did to prosper. As a slave, the Lord was with Joseph. Did you guys know that when life doesn't go the way that you've planned it to go, when you're in the bottom of the bucket, the Lord is with you? Not only is he with you, but the, the Bible that I'm, that I'm reading, and I don't think it's just this translation, but it tells me that he'll cause us to succeed. He'll cause us to prosper. Now, that might not, not, might not look like getting rich. It might not look like your wildest and craziest dreams coming true. But the Bible says that he caused him to prosper. But Joseph's story is not over. It actually gets worse. One day, Potiphar's wife approached Joseph. And like I said, Joseph was a handsome guy. And um, the Bible says that Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce Joseph. She wanted to sleep with Joseph. So day after day, she came to Joseph and she tried to seduce him and get him to sleep with her. And day after day, Joseph said no. Joseph honored the Lord even as a slave. Now, he could have used his bad circumstances as an excuse to do something that was wrong, but he didn't. He honored God. The Bible actually says that when she came to him, he fled the other way. He ran the other way. So, so hear me out. Follow me on this track. Joseph, favorite child, very colored tunic. Brothers hated him. Thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, doing all right as a slave, you know, as far as slavery goes. And then his wife, Potiphar's wife, tries to seduce Joseph. Now Potiphar gets home and hears because uh, Potiphar's wife took Joseph's clothing and gave it to Potiphar and said, look, Joseph tried to rape me. So she wrongfully accused Joseph. So thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, accused of rape. All unjustly. The man was innocent. Do you guys think that's how Joseph planned his life to go? I don't think so. The story gets worse. While in prison, though, after he was accused of rape, Potiphar sent him off to prison. And while there, the Bible says again, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor. At each place he was at, in Potiphar's house and in the prison, he was trusted so much that he was put in charge of those places. Potiphar put him in charge of all of his household and all the other slaves and all the cattle and everything. In the prison, the, the chief jailer put him in charge of everything as well. He was like second in command everywhere he went because God was with him and God caused him to prosper. But while he was in prison, two more prisoners show up and they worked for Pharaoh. They were the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And they come to prison and one night they both have a dream. Their dreams were different. And Joseph says, hey, I know a guy who can interpret dreams. God, like God will tell me what your dreams mean. And so they come to Joseph. He tells them their dreams. And to the cupbearer, he says, in three days, the Lord is going to, or Pharaoh is going to restore you to office as the chief cupbearer and, and life will be good for you. But to the other guy, to the chief baker, he says, in three days, Pharaoh's going to hang you and the birds are going to eat your flesh. Not a very great dream to be interpreted. I would have told Joseph, no, thank you. I do not receive that. Take it back. But that's what happened. And Joseph told the chief cupbearer, he said, hey, when these prophecies come true, when these dreams come true, don't forget me. Tell Pharaoh that I'm the guy who rightfully interpreted your dream to get me out of this mess because I don't deserve to be here. So the chief cupbearer in three days goes to Pharaoh. He gets reinstated back into his office, but then he forgets about Joseph. And the Bible says two more years go by. As Joseph is sitting in prison, two more years, and then one day Pharaoh has a dream, and the chief cupbearer remembers, oh my gosh, there was this guy when I was in prison. Two years later, 
He interpreted my dream. Pharaoh, you should go to him. And none of the other magicians or wizards or whatever there were back then in the land could interpret this dream for Pharaoh. But then he hears about Joseph. So he calls for Joseph. Joseph rightfully interprets this dream. And immediately, Pharaoh says, you're going to be second in command of all of Egypt. I need you as a part of my team. So, so we have Joseph who goes from being hated to a pit to slavery, accused of rape, in prison, forgotten about, in prison some more. But then, after 13 years of life not going as he planned, of life in the thick of it, of life that really sucks, God had something bigger and better than he could have ever dreamed. Isn't that amazing? Hey, we're going to pray really quick, and then we're really going to dive into this. God, we just thank you for today. God, I thank you um, that you want to do something special today. God, people are here right now with, with heaviness on their heart. They're, everybody's coming from different backgrounds, different scenarios, different life situations. God, whatever it is, you know. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in here with a heavy heart today who feels like they're in the thick of it, who's been trying for so long to get out of it, whose life just isn't going the way that, you've, that they've planned it to go, God, I ask right now that you would do something miraculous in their lives. God, I pray that, that, that your word would encourage us and your word would release something supernatural in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever felt like your life just sucks? Have you ever felt like it didn't go according to the plans you had, the hopes and dreams you once had never work out? like you want them to. Let me tell you a quick story. And this is, this is a real fresh story in my life. So I'm still really, really sensitive. Okay. So don't come talk to me about it after service. Cause I don't want to hear about it. Um, it's the Christmas season as we know. And this year I've been really, really good about buying Christmas gifts before Christmas Eve. Like, like I have, I prepared, I started buying Christmas gifts in November. Okay. That never happens for me. Anybody else or anybody else going to wait until like December 20th? Anybody? Yeah, no, I get you. So I'm buying Christmas gifts ahead of time this year. I'm on top of it. I'm the man. My big plan this year, um, don't tell my wife, but I was going, she's sitting over here. I was going to get her a dog, okay? She already knows this. I was just kidding about that. She already knows. I was going to get her a dog, and ever since she was young, she wanted a Yorkie. She had a Yorkie when she was growing up, and she wants another one. So I'm like, I'm going to surprise my wife with a Yorkie this year. I'm going to be the best husband. I'm going to get her a dog for Christmas. It's going to be great. Then I started looking up prices of dogs. And can I tell you, they're expensive. A dog like this big is like thousands of dollars. And I'm, I work for a church. So, um, so you see my dilemma. So I joined this group on Facebook. It's called 541 Pet Classifieds, right? There's like 30,000. Is that funny? Sorry. There's like 30,000 people in this group, okay? And it's from all over Oregon. People are, like every five minutes, somebody is putting a new status like, hey, I got corgis for sale. I got corgi Aussies for sale. I got a mixture of a Labradoodle, a Yorkie, and a Schnauzer for sale. Like all sorts of dogs, all sorts of cats. I've seen rabbits and mice and all sorts of things on this page, okay? People are trying to sell their animals. Breeders are on there. So I come across this post and it was like, looking to rehome some Yorkies. And I was like, the Lord has spoken. This is for me. And at this point, I didn't want to spend a lot of money without my wife's approval. Like I said, I'm a good husband. And um, so I say, hey, I really wanted to buy you a dog for Christmas. Sorry to ruin the surprise. But what do you think? 
So I messaged this lady who posted about the Yorkies. And she's like, yeah, they're going to be 250 bucks. I'm just looking to rehome them. Nothing crazy. I'm like, are you an angel? Because this is what I've been looking for. This is it. So that was Friday. I messaged this lady. I'm like, I would love one of your dogs. They're ready to go. She was just rehoming them. They were nine weeks old. We wanted to get a, a, a little girl Yorkie, okay? So I messaged her. She's like, can, when can you get it? I'm like, as soon as possible. She lived over in like Wasco or something like that in the Dallas, or at least that's what she told me. And so I was like, that's like an hour away from here. She's like, let's meet in the middle. So we decided to meet in Arlington yesterday, okay? So Arlington's like a 45-minute drive. We go to Walmart on Friday. We get a little dog bed. We get little dog treats. We get a little collar. I'm excited, okay? Ellie, my daughter, she's two, was so pumped up for this dog. I was so pumped up for this dog. So we get to Arlington. I paid the lady a $50 deposit, you know, just to make sure. Because on Facebook, you ever been scammed on Facebook before? Um, I have one time, no lie, on Instagram, I saw this ad for some hats. And it was like, just pay shipping. And I was like, God, is that you? So I, 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 I put three hats in my cart. I checked out. And it's been seven years, and I've never gotten my hats. So, um, so, so I'm on Facebook, and I'm trying to make up. They were just dad hats, just, you know. I'm a dad. Um, so I'm on Facebook. I pay this $50 deposit because I want to make sure this lady is, is not scamming me. She seemed legit. She was kind of like an older lady. I'm like, an older lady's not going to scam me on Facebook, okay? This is great. So I pay her her $50 deposit. We drive to Arlington. We're like five minutes away from Arlington, and this lady messaged me and goes, uh-oh, I'm having some trouble, trouble with the dog registration, the AKC. Um, if you guys know what that is, it's like for all your registered animals. And she was like, I'm having troubles registering this. I'm going to need you to send me $100 more to, to, to pay for this before I can meet you. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I'm not giving you $100 more. So no lie, we're sitting in Arlington because a part of me still had hope that this was going to be real. I was like, this is an old lady on Facebook. She's not going to scam me. Her Facebook profile looked normal. I checked her out. She's got grandkids for crying out loud. Like, that, like, she wasn't going to do that to me. So we sit in this parking lot in Arlington for two hours, and this lady is, like, trying to get me to send her. I'm like, if, if, if it's online, why don't you come here where we said we were going to meet at 11 two hours ago, and I can do it on my phone, and I can pay with my card and not give you any more cash. Like, I don't want to give you $100 more. And she was like, sorry, I can't do that because I need to do it now. And I'm like, lady, this is... So from, from your perspective, you're thinking, Austin, this is very clearly a scam. From my perspective, I'm thinking, I'm going to get a new dog. So after two hours, I say, you know what, just refund me my money. Because she's like, I'll give you a refund, which really made me confused. I'm like, if you're going to refund me, then you're not trying to scam me. I haven't got the refund yet, so odds are she, she was scamming me. So, so now I'm sad. My plans didn't work out. My daughter's upset because she didn't get a dog. And I am out one Christmas gift. <laughs> Sometimes life doesn't go the way that you've planned it to. Now, that's a funny story, and that's a little example. But I know for a fact there are people in this room today who are walking through some really, really hard things. There are people who are having really hard problems in their relationships, struggles in their family, financial problems. They've lost a job. They've received a diagnosis from a doctor for their family members or for themselves that is not pleasurable. And I believe that God wants to do something this morning. He wants to take you out of that mindset of, of woe is me and show you that he's with you still. 
and that when he's with you, he'll prosper you. So I have three points for you, okay, from the story of Joseph, of how we can really learn to thrive when life sucks, when we're in the thick of it, when things don't go the way that we've planned them to go. So point number one is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. When you're in the thick of it, God is with you. And you're probably thinking, Austin, that is the least practical step you could have given me. That does not help me at all. Now, I agree, this is not a super practical step, but it starts here. I'll give you something practical in a second, but this is where it starts. We have to first understand that God is with us no matter where we're at in life. One of my favorite scriptures that I've held on to for years is this. The Bible says in in James, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So I know that every time I make an effort to draw near, I don't have to feel anything to know that God has already drawn near to me. I know because the Bible says it. So when I pray, I say, God, I'm drawing near to you. So thank you that you have already drawn near to me. Thank you that you are here in this room with me. Did you guys know you're at a church? And at, a, at church, we actually draw near to God. So if you can make this logical process happen, God is actually in this room today. And you might not feel it. I don't feel it. I don't feel any different. I don't feel the goosebumps. I don't feel like falling down right now. But God is in this room. And that's the first place we have to start. We have to understand that even though we're going through really hard stuff and life is crap, God is still with us. God is still with you. And when the Bible says it, it's not an accident that he said it in Joseph's life. Everywhere Joseph went, the Bible made a point to say God was with Joseph. And Lynette said it this morning, that there are no accidents in the Bible. Every word was meant to be there. But what's interesting is that oftentimes in our lives, when things start to to go bad, when stuff starts to hit the fan, one of our first reactions is to go, God, how could you do this? God, I serve in the kids' ministry with Pastor Austin. How could you let this happen to me? Now, that might not be a conscious thing that we do, but I guarantee you a lot of us have had those thoughts. We've thought, God, I've I've done enough good things. I've done enough of the right stuff. I I, I tithe faithfully. I, I come to church every week. But why is this happening to me? Why am I the one that lost my job? Why am I the one that got a bad diagnosis? Why am I the one who's going through a divorce right now, God? This is not a place I ever saw my life being. Why me? And oftentimes that's our first response because we think that God is far from us. What we've yet to realize is when you get the bad diagnosis, God is in the room with you. When you're going through a divorce, God is with you. And he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. So it starts with that. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He's with me. And we have to really beat this into ourselves because we are so feeling-oriented. It's like we have to feel something to know it's true. The, 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 the day-old expression is, I can't see oxygen, but it's there because I'm breathing it. And as cliche as that is, it's true. I can't see God, but the visible image of him was Jesus who came to this earth and died on the cross to show me that he's with me still. 2,000 years later, he's with me still. That is the God that we serve. The God who doesn't leave you when you're walking through the fire. Can I tell you a story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I don't know if you've heard them. 
Um, there's this book called Daniel in the Bible, and it's about Daniel and some of his friends who vow to follow God no matter what. And these Babylonian people are trying to make Daniel and his friends worship their idols, eat their food, do all the things that they do. But Daniel and his friends have made it up in their mind that they will serve God no matter what, no matter the consequences, no matter the outcome. So there's one particular story where King Nebuchadnezzar makes this uh, golden statue. And he says, listen, whoever does not bow down to this golden statue that I've made is going to get thrown into a fiery blazing furnace and will be consumed by the fire. So what do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? They say, we will never bow down to your idol. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, well, then I'm going to throw you in the fire. And they say something so powerful. I need you guys to hear this. They say, my God is strong enough to rescue me from the fire. But then they say, but even if he doesn't, I will never bow down and serve your gods. Even if he doesn't take me out of this fire, I know he's real and I know he's with me. That's the God we serve. So they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And they're ready to see these guys just die. They're ready to see them burned up, consumed by the fire. But as they throw them in, they're looking into the fire and and there's, there's one, two, three. How many, how many guys did we throw into the fire? We threw three guys into the One, two, three. There were four men in the fire, but they only threw in three. And here's what I propose to you today is that the fourth man in the fire was God. I can't even explain it any better than that. When you are in the fire, God is there with you. And what's interesting is God didn't even show up until they were in the fire. You mean to tell me that it's only when I'm in trouble that God has to come and rescue me out of it? Yes, because he wants to show you that there is nothing you can do on your own to get what God wants to give you. I remember uh, my son, Luca, he's sitting up here in the audience. You want to Lion King him for us, you know? Throw, no, okay. Um, anyway, he's, he's almost five months old now. Uh, he was born in July, and I remember when he was born, my wife wanted to have him naturally, um, but that wasn't working out. He was kind of coming out sideways. His umbilical cord was wrapped around his head, um, and he was starting to lose, uh, his blood pressure was starting to really go down. And so the doctors were like, okay, we got to have an emergency C-section. We're like, great, whatever we got to do to get this baby out of there, get him healthy, make my wife healthy, like, we'll do whatever at this point. And we go into this surgery, the, the OR, the operating room, and they perform the C-section and I, they pull Luca out of her and they send me and Luca back to our hospital room. And they say, Kinsey, will join you in a little bit. And I'm like, okay, great. How long is a little bit? Like, no matter what the surgery is, there's always risk involved and it's scary. Um, and so they're like, maybe half an hour, we got to just close her up and we'll bring her back to you. So half an hour goes by, I'm sitting in this empty hospital room by myself with my son. Half an hour goes by, 45 minutes go by, an hour go by, and I'm like, can somebody tell me where my wife is at? Now, as humans, this is what we love to do. I know I'm not alone in this, but we love to imagine the worst possible scenarios, okay? Oh my gosh, he didn't text me back. He must hate me. He wants to break. Like, we imagine, like, little things like that, right? So I'm in this hospital room, and all I can think about is, oh my gosh, I have a two-year-old daughter at home, and now I have this newborn baby, and I'm going to have to go home without a wife because she's dying. That was like my logical thought process, okay? As silly as that might sound, that was what I was thinking, and I was scared, okay? Let me be real with you. I was scared. I didn't know what was happening. So after like, she didn't come for like another hour and a half. It was like two and a half hours before she came to the room with me, and the whole time, nobody would tell me anything about what was happening. 
So I'm sitting in this room, and I was literally crying because I'm like, oh my gosh, nobody's telling me. I don't know anything. I just need to know what's going on. So I'm crying, and as I'm crying, I'm praying, and I'm like, I'm like, I say something. I say, God, I know you're in this hospital room with me. I'm not just making this story up, I promise you. It's not just for me to preach. This is really what happened in my life. I say, God, I know you're here with me, and I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. This isn't what we planned before we came to the hospital. The plan was she was going to have the baby naturally, and we were going to be a happy family, and it was all going to be great, but that's not what happened. And in that moment, I began to feel peace. As soon as I said, God, you are in this room with me. It wasn't a moment before that, but it was as soon as I said it, peace. All of a sudden, I was just with my new baby boy because I understood that God was in the fire with me. My fire might be different than yours. You guys were laughing at my fire a second ago. Like, my fire might be different than yours, and that's okay. What you're going through today is valid. Let me tell you that the holiday joy and celebration does not take away from your pain. I want to tell you today that what you're experiencing is real, and I stand with you. And I encourage you that God is with you in it. And there might not be anything you can do in this situation, but can I tell you that's exactly where God wants us to be. He wants us to be in a spot where we can't do anything so he can get all the glory in it. You guys get what I'm saying? Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've been through divorce. Maybe you've lost your job. You have a disease or a sickness that stops you from living the life that you want. But I promise God is with you. And the cool thing about God being with us is this, that God takes what was broken, what was torn apart, and he shapes it, and he picks up the pieces, and he molds it into something that doesn't even resemble the old thing. And it's something that's beautiful. It's something that's new. Here, here's an example of this. Any women in the house? Okay. Anybody ever been pregnant in here? A few of you? Okay. Um, childbirth is a beautiful example of this. Because for nine months... A woman's body is changing, there's pain, there's stress, it's uncomfortable, um, and the actual childbirth process itself is literally disgusting. Like, this is not pleasurable. I can say that. I was there, okay? I can say that. Disgusting. But do you guys know what the, the, the end result of, of pregnancy is? You get a beautiful baby. Even if your baby's not cute, we'll still say it's beautiful. Y'all ever told somebody their baby was cute when it wasn't? <laughs> I definitely have. <laughs> but that's what God does for us. He takes the nine months that are really, really bad and then gives you something beautiful from it. Joseph took 13 years to go from pit to slavery to prison to accused of rape to second in command of Egypt. That doesn't follow the process that we were going on here, but now he's royalty. 13 years. And maybe for you, you've been going through something for 13 years. Maybe it's been longer. God is with you. And again, that doesn't feel super practical, I know. But that's where we have to start. God is with you. Isaiah 61, verse 3, that he gives beauty for ashes. He gives joy for mourning and praise for heaviness. This word heaviness means to grow weak, 
to be faint, to fail, to lose confidence, to be cast down in mind, to be dejected? Have you ever felt like that before? Because if you have, my God gives praise for heaviness. So when you're in the fire, remember what God gives you for it. Remember, God, you're going to take this and you're going to make a pearl out of it. That's the God that we serve. When you're in the thick of it, God is with you. Everybody say that. God is with me. Point number two is this, when you're in the thick of it, give it to God. Give it to God. In this story, everywhere that Joseph went, he looked to God and he honored God in all things that he did. And the best example I can give you is when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him day after day after day. And, and let me say this, giving it to God is not necessarily the most practical step, but it's a little closer to the, to the practical things that we can do. And let me explain. What it looks like to give something to God is when you're in the middle of a bad situation, when life isn't going the way that you've planned, to say this, God, this is not where I want to be. As a, I might even hate the situation that I'm in, but I choose you still. I choose to honor you and obey you still. That's what it looks like to give something to God. And maybe you're like me. I'm a very like practical person. I've literally like wrote, written stuff down before and like, extended my arms out in prayer and like, here you go, God, take it, like expecting like a hand to grab it. But um, that's what I've done because that's, that's how I think. If that's how you think, do something like that. But give it to him. But in a, in, in a practical sense, giving it to God is honoring him in all things that you do wherever you're at. And that is what Joseph did. He chose to give it to God in the pit, in slavery, when he was enticed and seduced and accused of rape. He fled the other way because he was giving it to God. The Bible says that he ran away from sin. Most of us don't run away from sin. We kind of like, oh, that, I'm supposed to be going that way, but that kind of looks, that kind of looks good over here. And we don't like go that way yet, but we give it a, we give it a thought. Um, but can I tell you that the decision we made to look back has already negated the decision to run forward. We have to choose to run and we're running towards God, not away from him. We're saying, God, I choose to honor you. So I'm going to say no to what you say no to. I'm going to despise what you despise. I'm going to love what you love. That's what it means to give something to God. And here's the problem. Many of us, we like to use our bad life circumstances as an excuse. As an excuse to treat people poorly to do things we know we shouldn't do. Joseph could have very easily have said, I'm already a slave. I might as well sleep with my master's wife. I've got nothing to lose. I'm already at the bottom of the bucket. Come to find out he wasn't because he would be forgotten about in prison. But he could have said that. He could have used his bad circumstances to say, you know what? What I'm about to do is going to be okay, to justify his actions. But can I tell you that bad circumstances and, and, and crappy life doesn't justify anything? It's not going to change your situation. It's actually only going to make it worse. We want people to feel sorry for us and tell us it's okay to use our circumstances as an excuse. But the cool thing is, the only reason that God caused Joseph to prosper and all he did was because Joseph chose to honor God everywhere he was at, in slavery and in prison. Now let me show you what this looks like really quick. Um, I, have a, I have a little prop. Let me grab it. Um, this is a uh, Mario Kart steering wheel, okay? Y'all ever played Mario Kart before? And what we like to do in life is we like to say, we like to drive. We like to take the wheel. 
We want to know where, if you're anything like me, I'm a control freak. I really want to know where the destination is. What's my next turn going to be? Where can I stop to get gas? Like, I need to know everything. Okay? I would rather drive. My wife gets car sick in the car, so normally she ends up driving, so she doesn't get car sick. So, you know, that's how it works out. But we like to drive in life. But as soon as life starts to get bad, we start to sing that Carrie Underwood song, Jesus, Take the Wheel. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'd sing it for you, but I'm a bad singer. Um, so here's how we can practically give this to God. Tina, will you come here for a second? Here's how we can give this to God. But let me tell you, this is what the majority of us look like when we give things to God. We say, Jesus, life really sucks right now, but I want you to take the wheel. I'm going to give it to you. Jesus, you're going to be Jesus. Pretty, Jesus was kind of short, actually. I don't, anyway, sorry, I'm sorry, dude. I love you. Um, I'm sorry. We say, Jesus, take the wheel. Drive because I can't do it anymore. I don't even know where I'm going. I don't know how I ended up here, but take the wheel. And we say, here you go, Jesus, drive. I said, take it. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it. This is what we do. We say, Jesus, take it, but we're still holding on to it. This will cause a car crash. Y'all ever been in a car crash? Like this is what happens. I almost hit a cat the other day. I had to swerve so far over. It was a bad deal. And I almost crashed my car. But when you're fighting over the wheel like this, you will get in a crash. Things will get worse. But most of us are like, here you go, Jesus, take it, take it. I'm still driving, but take it. Like, that's what we do, okay? We don't actually give him the wheel. But can I tell you, when you actually let go of the wheel, now go ahead and drive, Jesus. We might, we might hop in the back seat back here. And, uh, you know, hey, Jesus, I, I'm going to go left. Je no, Jesus, you, you didn't turn the... And then you grab the, the oh crap handle up here, you know what I'm talking about? You grab that and you're like, no, Jesus, that way. And, he's not, and you're wondering why, but you're still trying to tell him where to go. The crazy part is I've, I've let go of it, but I really haven't. Y'all ever gotten in an Uber before or a taxi? You get in, all you have to do is tell them where you're going. And they'll do the rest. The cool part about getting in the car with Jesus is he's actually going to take you somewhere you never thought you would ever be. You don't even got to tell him. You could go to sleep the whole trip and wake up and be like, how did we get here? Like, that's what you can do. But only if you say, Jesus, here's the wheel. Take me somewhere. I don't even know where I'm going. I, this is a foreign land to me. Take me somewhere. And he'll take you like Joseph, somewhere you never imagined you'd be. You might have had dreams, but I promise you they'll be better than the dreams you've had. Thanks, Tina. You can go sit down, buddy. You can take that wheel with you. The story of Joseph in the book of Genesis spans from Genesis 38 to Genesis 50, and the, it wraps up with such a powerful statement. Joseph is talking to his brothers who once hated him, but because of the circumstances, Joseph actually ended up ruling over his brothers and saving them from dying because there was a, a famish in the land. There was no food to eat, okay? Genesis 50 verse 20 says this, Joseph speaking to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. When you threw me in the pit 13 years ago, you meant to kill me. You wanted me to die. You meant evil. But Joseph says this, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, the result of saving his family. What people mean for evil in our lives, the Bible tells me that God can actually use for good. Romans 8.28 says, 
It says all things work together for the good. Not just some of them, not just the good things, but all things, the bad diagnosis, the, the, the divorce, the, the, the lost family members, all things work together for the good. Isn't that encouraging? If you're in the middle of it right now, know this, that God is with you and all things will work together for the good. Now, it might be 20 years from now that all things work together, but that's hope. Can I tell you that there is no reason to hang on? Like, like I think about Pastor Terry. We're going to honor Pastor Terry for a second. This man has been here, and, and Mama Sherry, they've been here for 20-some years, okay? And, and they've been through a lot. Can I say that? But what's amazing is that they have hope which has brought them 20 plus years here because they have a dream and a vision for the people of Hermiston. Now, if they didn't have that hope, yeah, we can honor them real quick. Let's honor them. But if they didn't have the hope that God had given them, they would have given up 19 years ago because hope is what brings us through. When we say, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, it all of a sudden makes everything you've just endured worth it. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. What if the situation you're in is actually just a part of the journey? What if your present circumstances are really just a pit stop of a much larger race? That's how we have to start thinking about this thing. When you're in the thick of it, give it to God. And don't just say you're going to give it to him, really give it to him. Don't be in the back seat telling him where to go. Just close your eyes and say, God, take the wheel. Point number three is this. When you're in the thick of it, sit at his feet. And this is the most practical thing I can share with you today. When you're in the thick of it, sit at his feet. There's a story in Luke chapter 10. You've probably heard it. Very popular. It's four verses, okay? It's about his sisters, Mary and Martha. And it says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, Jesus and his friends, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who was also seated at the Lord's feet. And was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving all by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus says one thing is necessary. He doesn't say to tithe. He doesn't say to make sure you show up to church every Sunday. He doesn't say make sure that you prepare the table and the food and everything perfect for me. He doesn't tell them that. He says one thing is necessary, and that one thing is to sit at his feet. Austin, what do you mean? What do you mean sit at his feet? Like, what does that look like? Let me show you. This is a Bible. I'm going to open it, and I'm just going to read it. And I'm just going to sit at his feet. And I'm going to hear what he has to say. Because this is how God speaks to me. You might be like, Austin, I want God to speak to me in this loud voice in my room. God already wrote a really long book. And most of y'all haven't even read it. Like this is how he's speaking to us. Sit at his feet. The Bible, the Bible says that, that, Martha was or that Mary was listening to every single word Jesus was speaking. She was listening intently. Have you ever like been talking to somebody and they're kind of just like not really into the conversation you're like telling them something super cool about your life and they're like on their phone they're you know like replying to an email they're just not even aware of what's happening I think Jesus feels like that sometimes we have this open 
but we're not really there. Our phone dings and we look at it really quick and then we go back to reading and then it dings again and we look at it again and we just aren't giving all of our focus right here to the one thing that Jesus actually asked us to do. This is the one thing that's necessary. Sitting at his feet, seeing what he says. You'll never make it through the fire if you don't know what he says. If you don't know how he tells you to navigate the things that you're experiencing. This is the one thing that's necessary. Can I have the worship team come back up here? And I think many of us, if you're like me, we like to take our bad circumstances, our bad situations into our own hands. Do any of you like to just fix things? You're like, oh, I see, I see two people who are arguing right there. I need to go make sure that they make up and that they're better. Like, are you a fixer like I am? Because what happens is when we get into the struggle and when we get into life that sucks, when we're in the thick of it, our first reaction is almost always, what can I do different? How can I, how can I change this? Or who can I talk to to, to, to make this go away? Or, or how can I go get another job to pay for this bill? Or all these things we try to do on our own to fix the situation. But Jesus didn't ask us to do that. He said one thing is necessary. Sit at my feet. And he tells Mary, this is the good part. This is the good part. You can be in the fire and experience the good part. And the story is so backwards to how we think because, um, especially in Western culture, if we're like sitting, we're like, that's lazy. A guy like Gary Vee would tell you to get off your booty and go do something with your life. That's how we think. And even in my own home, I can tell you it's happened. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I'll be like sitting on the couch just watching TV or on my phone and my wife will just be working hard, doing the dishes, vacuuming, doing some laundry. And every time she walks by me, she's like, And then after a few trips, she'll do this. She'll say, so what are you going to do? <laughs> Nothing. I'm just going to sit here. This is what Jesus said. <laughs> because our first instinct is to get up and be as busy as possible to make sure things get done and our life is in order. But for some reason, over thousands of years, that has never worked. Not one time has being busier and being distracted actually solved our problems. But can I tell you how many times opening this thing up and sitting at his feet has solved mine? Things that I could never do on my own, broken relationships that I could never amend, addictions that I could never break, but sitting at his feet and hearing what he has to say, that's what'll do it. That's what'll break curses. That's what'll bring families back together. That's what'll restore relationships. This is your one assignment. Before you do anything, I mean anything, open this book. I don't even care if you don't understand it. I don't understand half the stuff I read in this book. Open it. Because what happens when you open it is something supernatural happens. Because God doesn't work like we work. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. When you open this book, the Bible says that he is the potter and we are the pottery. And if you didn't know this, the pottery doesn't decide what it's going to be. The potter is the one who uses his hands to shape and to mold and to take away the bad parts and to add the good parts and to put some more color here and, and to make it something beautiful. When you sit at his feet, what you're really doing is you're giving God permission to change you. The problem is that many of us have never actually sat at his feet to be changed. 
And I encourage you, if you haven't opened your Bible in a long time, this isn't to make you feel bad or to feel guilty. This is to encourage you to be at the one place God's told you to be. My desire is that for each of you to know God intimately, but that will never happen if you don't open his book. And I know every week at church, it's like, open your Bible, that'll solve your problems, but it's never failed me yet. Even if it hasn't fixed the situation, it's given me hope. And let me tell you this, that if you're in this building today and you're sitting in this pew, your story's not over. If you're breathing, your story's not over. Your book still has more pages to go. And as we sit here, God is writing more of the story. He's like, yeah, this chapter really isn't that great, but just I can't wait for them to get to the next chapter. They're going to love it there. This is, this is the place that I've had for them all along. They've been going through this for so long, but this chapter is where it needs to be. And I know how this story ends. This story ends with us winning. You are winning because you're a part of this story. To connect this to the story of Joseph, the Bible doesn't explicitly say this, but Joseph spent 13 years in really crappy circumstances. 13 years in life that wasn't what he planned, in life that didn't make sense, but I can only imagine that in 13 years he had a lot of time on his hands. He didn't have a smartphone to scroll on. And don't use your smartphone as an excuse not to spend time with God. He had other things to distract him. But I bet in, in, in 13 years, he spent so much time at the feet of God. Can I tell you, he didn't have this book to read. Joseph didn't have a Bible like we have a Bible. You know what Joseph had to do? He had to just talk to God. He had to trust in what he's heard because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He knew that the God of his ancestors was faithful to them, so of course he would be faithful to him. That's where Joseph was at, spending 13 years at the feet of Jesus. And that seemed to work. It seemed to give him hope. It seemed to help him honor every single circumstance he was in. He said, I might be here, but I still have God. I might be in prison, but I still have God. I might, I might not be where I want to be, but God, I know that you're here. And spending time with, with Jesus really just puts things into perspective. That's really all it does. It shows you the bigger picture. It shows you that your story is yet to be over. So if you're going through it today, if you're in the thick of it, I wanna pray for you today. And if you want to begin to follow Jesus today, I want to pray for you too. So can I have you guys do this? Can I have everyone close their eyes and bow their heads? Because I want to give people an opportunity who have not yet decided to follow Jesus to do so. If you would like to make that decision today, I'm going to count to three. I want you to raise your hand and then we're all going to pray. If that's you on the count of three, one, two, three. If you would like to make the decision to follow Jesus today, Awesome. Guys, we're just going to pray right now. And I want everybody to repeat after me because we're a family. We pray together. God, thank you for saving my life. I accept your free gift of eternal life. Today, 
I say yes to you. I decide to follow you. No matter the circumstances or consequences that I might face, I say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision today to follow Jesus, I just first of all want to say congratulations. Can we give a round of applause for everybody who made that decision? The best decision you'll ever make. I can guarantee it. If you made that decision after the service, I encourage you to head to the Next Step Center. Our team would love to connect with you, give you some free resources to help you in your new journey. But if you're here today and you're just in the fire and you didn't plan to be here, you don't like where you're at, I just want to pray for you. And if I can have the prayer team come on up as well, um, there's going to be people up here who, who can pray for you if you need it, who you can just go and, and, and be with. And let me tell you this. When, when, when Martha sat, sorry, when Mary sat, when one of them sat at the feet of Jesus, she wasn't talking. Somebody told me this last week. They said, they said, my dad always told me that the most important person in the room is the one who talks. Everybody else listens. So why is it that when we get into prayer, we decide to just run our mouths? I mean this in the nicest way possible. Next time you go into prayer, even today, these altars are going to be open. I encourage you, come sit at his feet because he's here. God is here in this room. Sit at his feet. And when you do it, don't say anything. Just sit here in his presence. And if you're like, Austin, I don't even know what to think about. Think about what Jesus did on the cross. Remind yourself of why you're even here today. Just reflect on your salvation. Reflect on the miracles that he's already done for you. It's as easy as that. So we're going to pray one more time. If I could have everybody stand. Then we're going to sing one more worship song to God. And then we're going to get out of here. But I encourage you, don't leave without first sitting at his feet. So God, I just thank you that you're here in this room today. God, the Bible says when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So God, we hold on to that promise and we know that you're here today. And God, I lift up everyone who is currently going through something they never wanted to be experiencing, who's currently in the fire, whose life just really sucks right now, God. And I ask that you would do something supernatural in their lives. God, I ask that you would resolve their problems for them because there's nothing else we can do. God, I pray that you would provide peace, that you would give them joy even when it doesn't make sense for them to have joy. God, we thank you that you are going to do something. Not that you might, but that you will because that is who you are. You're a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, and your words will never return void. So God, today we come to you and we say, take the wheel, do what I can't. In Jesus' name.